Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org A-Y. That's puredesire.org A-Y. Welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, where we partner with you to bring hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Hey guys, this is Dr. Ted Roberts. I hope you'll join me on September the 15th at Good Shepherd Community Church for a Pure Desire Men's Conference, a time where you can pursue a life of integrity, strength, and leave a legacy of real significance. Learn to really kick the enemy's tail. To register, go to puredesire.org forward slash events. Enjoy the podcast. Hey there, I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and we're so thankful you're taking time out of your day to hang out with us. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Nick Stumbo. Auga. Auga? Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second. No, let's not. Okay, moving isn't, on. Isn't that the dive sound of a submarine, like engaging I, in... Ted, have you been in a submarine before? down. Yeah. yeah, Ted Roberts, everybody, is here. <laughs> so today, we have our founders with us, Dr. Ted and Diane Roberts. Uh, they're contributors on tons of our resources, authors active members of our clinical team. Uh, you guys are at the heart of what we do. We love you guys. We're so glad you guys are here. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, we're just going to move on from the Auga stuff. Okay, it's no submarine. Wise. We're just going <laughs> to move on. So today uh, we're talking through, I'm excited about today's episode because we're talking through the tool that we use called the arousal template. Um, you will not be hearing much from me as your host today. I feel like I'll ask these questions and just step back and let the experts take it. So uh, this can be a complicated tool, yet it's a really impactful one. And if we use it properly, it can be so helpful on the road to recovery from sexual addiction. Uh, so we're going to be taking time to go through this and uh, how to use it best in our daily lives. So let's just start with this. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's just start with this. Uh, the word arousal, this can be a really misunderstood word. Can you just talk to us when we say arousal, what are we talking about? On layman's terms, I mean, the guy is sexually excited. But clinical terms is the first stage of four stages, which you go through for the sexual response cycle. Okay. First one's arousal, which usually for the male's erection. After that, it's uh, it's plateauing, which the body begins to change ready for intercourse, orgasm, and then restoration. Mm-hmm. Rest, rest, restoration. Resolution, pardon me. This sexual response cycle for a man is about 2.8 minutes. For a wife, it's about 14.2 minutes as she's really focused. Yeah. You notice there's a 10-minute difference there? <laughs> yeah, and at I least say, 10 minutes. I say, guys, that's what 
foreplay is about. There you go. And foreplay is not brace yourself, darling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the younger the guy is, the steeper the slope. And the wife goes through the same four stages. She has an erection as well. But it's through her male female brain, which is quite different than the male brain, to say the least. Hmm. For example, female fantasies are more committed, more about commitment and romance, and they're very relational. Male fantasies are very much visual, and they're very sexual. A female usually has fantasies about once a week. Hmm. Uh, guys average about several times a day. It's part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And so it's radically different. Fantasies take hold for no apparent reason. But what they are is they're basically an insight into the arousal template. When we acting out takes place, what happens, you're doing something that directly expresses a fantasy or a feeling. That's why chapter, or pillar five, your first part is all about fantasies. That's it. You have to begin to understand the arousal template. Hmm. And within the women's material, we talk about fantasies. Uh, and if you're a love addict, uh, fantasies are huge because that romance factor is huge. And uh, for women who uh, may have a love addiction but sexual issues, actually sex uh, can take on uh, many of the same characteristics that the, the male does. Uh, and again, I think arousal has to do with your subconscious cues, hmm. uh, your history, your experience, and as we'll get into it, abuse issues of the past. Hmm. But it's, it's like the limbic system is like a secret uh, area that you're not even aware of. And so when we're putting together an arousal template, the whole thing is to bring forth those secrets into our prefrontal cortex where we can begin to understand, oh, this and this and this. It's kind of a revealing of what's going on subconsciously. Well, I think what you're describing, Diane, is one of the reasons I'm excited about this podcast, because culturally, we just take arousal as a given that that everyone is aroused by different things and don't spend much time thinking about it or investigating what it can reveal to us about what's going on inside. And so we work with uh, so many men and women that are battling unwanted sexual behavior, and they've likely been programmed just to think about how to avoid crossing some line that they have determined or decided is wrong and and they do all these things that get them up to that line and then want to change and go in a different direction but as we understand arousal and what's going on in those secret deeper places it can really begin to unlock some doors and so um, help us understand that a little more about why the arousal template is such a crucial tool in the recovery process what makes this so significant because i know ted I've actually heard you say that this is a game changer in people's recovery process. It really is. It, Paul puts it so well, the very thing I don't want to do is what I do. When I take a man through an arousal template and I'm able to explain to him why he's doing what he didn't want to do, yeah. lights come on, his shame and laugh factor drops exponentially. You can start addressing his issues with a non-condemning attitude and change. If you don't understand why you do what you do, you can't change. I think also uh, sometimes the church has given... Um, weak answers to uh, this problem. In other words, to get unstuck, pray more, read your Bible more, um, or snap a rubber band, snap a rubber band huh. or bounce your <laughs> eyes. Yeah. And I think uh, James chapter 1, 14 and 15 says, but each one is tempted 
uh, by his own evil desires. He is dragged away and enticed. That enticed is the first level. And if that's all you're dealing with, then some of these techniques might work. But then he says the next level, then after desire has uh, been conceived, it gives birth to sin, another level, and sin leads to death. And the word enticer is a baited hook. And the enemy baits a hook, and once you bite into the hook, once you act out, it starts changing your brain. You're set up to constant or hmm. bondage. Yeah. So, but once you're in that bondage, those little easy techniques that are given um, really don't help. You need to go deeper and figure out why am I stuck? Why do I keep returning to the same behaviors? So the arousal template will help us discover this. Yeah, I think what you hit on with that James 1 passage, what entices us is we live in a world that is very sexually driven and there's imagery all around us. And and there are experiences where because we're human beings, we see things or hear things or experience things that can, they just, they trigger temptation and, and they may not be associated with um, other behaviors. But in that, we might miss um, a whole aspect of our behavior that has been connected to our experiences and and that's what the arousal template is all about is learning that we we do have the ability to begin to recognize where some of this stuff is coming from what what starts the engine so to speak and if if we can get a, a handle on what what starts up the engine that moves us further down to deeper levels uh, then we can really gain uh, with the help of of God and others in our lives we can really gain some control over where our desires take us or mm-hmm. or where, what we do with them well, and something that I love about this is that it puts practically to, you know, what, I, what I've heard in Scripture, the idea of it's the heart of the issue that really is the issue. So if you look at your brother with hatred, you've murdered him in your heart. If you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so the idea of we're getting to the actual heart of the issue, not just the physical manifestation of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just about watching porn and masturbating. This allows you to get underneath and really see what's at the heart and at the core of everything that's going on. It's interesting. The word heart scripture basically refers to the limbic system. Hmm. Yeah. So, and I've heard you say that it's the soul is really Mm -hmm. what it's referring most to. Yeah. It's a combination of your prefrontal cortex and your limbic system as a soul. Yeah. The integration of the two. Hmm. So Ted, we're kind of talking around the arousal template a little bit and why it's important, but tell us specifically what, what is the arousal template? Uh, Talk us through this tool a little bit. The concept was developed by my good friend, Dr. Patrick Carnes, and he basically said the arousal template is a constellation of thoughts, images, behaviors, sounds, smells. It's interesting. The five senses, your smell is the only one that goes directly to your limbic system. So you have certain smells that are like perfumes that will trigger you. Smells, sights, fantasies, and objects that arouse us sexually. The arousal template is basically an x-ray of the early trauma that you have in your life frequently. There's two pathways that set you up. Didn't have to be a sexual addict. First one is trauma as a child. Your brain doesn't fully develop impulse control until you're in your mid-20s. That's when your prefrontal cortex finally develops to 26. That's why you can't rent a car until you're 26. Uh-huh. Because you're actually rented six times adult. The limbic system is fully programmed by the time you're six years of age. And primarily it's programmed by your two years of age by implicit memories. And that's what the scripture refers to your heart. Heart's not the organ that pumps blood, it's your limbic system in your head. And the foundational software is implicit memories. And what happens is your family of origin gives you a window through which you look out at your world. And I have guys say in my office, I don't have any big trauma like you did, Ted. Oh, wait a minute. Basically, if you define trauma biblically, it's any experience you have outside 
what God designed you to live in the Garden of Eden. So living in this world is constantly an experience of trauma. You know, I'm a lot of big T, but you got a lot of little T that's haunting you big time. And salvation is basically where your spirit and your prefrontal cortex are changed. The prefrontal cortex gets new biblical information. Mm -hmm. But sanctification is where your limbic system has changed. And that's why you have this contrast in Romans. Romans 6 says, <clears throat> I'm a new creature in Christ. Behold, all things pass away. I'm a brand new. But right in chapter 7, he says, what? Everything I want to do, I can't do. And the very thing I don't want to do is exactly what I do. A lot of people try to say, well, he's talking about someone else. And he's talking about himself. Because in verse 14, he changes the present tense. What's the solution? A lot of people say it's Romans chapter 8. But it's not Romans chapter 8. That's just a, that's just a, not a, it's basically an intro to understand it's a process. Because Paul says, all creation is standing on tiptoes, waiting for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. It's a process we're in. What's a process? Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. And that's by having new experiences. Because you change, you change your limbic system by new information. Sermon will never change your limbic system. You've got to have new experiences. 80% of your decisions on a daily basis are made at the limbic system on an unconscious basis. You're acting out of the programming already set up. So what you're saying then is that this is an x-ray into what's really going on yeah. down there? Yes, very much so. That's a great imagery. So if you want to have a healthy marriage, you want to get healed again, you want to have to reprogram your limbic system through new experiences. Um, I had a client that was violently reactive. He's horrible self-esteem. Had a lovely wife who was constantly driving her away, deep sexual addict. I could never come to an understanding of why he was so self-depreciating. You know, why he's so violent. I took him through what's called brain spotting, which allows you to access the limbic system. It happened last week. I was sitting there, I was amazed. He went back to an incident when he was six months old. He couldn't remember it, but his body remembered it. Where his father took him through against the wall because hmm. he was crying. And that's what basically told him he was worthless. Wow. And another lady, um, her husband was a sex addict. She was reacting crazily. She was reacting to any woman within 100 miles. And so she was so hyperactive. She came in, and I started taking her through the brain spotting to access her limbic system. I said, what are you hearing? She said, I hear my mom and dad talk. I said, what are they talking about? In fact, they don't want me. And I asked her a question. It blew me out of the water. I said, where are you? She said, my mother's womb. She was in her womb. She was hearing her parents reject her. That's why she was so reactive to her husband's sexual addiction. It just set her up. Once we processed it, she was able to get healthy. Second pathway to sexual bondage is a brain lock. That's why usually when you're young and you encounter something that really triggers curiosity or it triggers tentilation or, or disturbs you, typical, typical situation where a guy runs into his father's stash, he finds his porn magazines or his videos or his internet websites, what happens, the brain will go back to that to re-experience re, re that, and it'll start changing your brain, start setting you up. For example, they took a group of college students, they always use white rats or college students for experiments. And this is a really weird experiment. They can only do this in some of these crazy colleges. They showed the guys pictures of nude women with a set of boots beside the nude women. And eventually what happened, they did, is they showed them pictures of the boots, guys were being triggered, their brain was being changed. That's changing them very deeply. You can, bring, you can develop a brain lock as an adult. Frequently I'll have a pastor who's struggling, and when he's done, he's trying to turn his wife into a porn star. And that's because he's been watching porn, so his view of what should be sexually happening is found by porn. It's changing his brain. I remember another one, um, childhood trauma can also set up a brain lock for you. 
John, he was raised by a very religious dad who beat him for the slightest uh, infraction. So he started being fascinated by masochistic porn and started changing. He started taking excitement of masochistic porn, his abuse, combined in his brain. So he started wanting his wife to be involved in that, which is disgusting for her, so it just turned her on big, turned her off big time. That arousal temple is set up. And the reason it's so important is, like I said before, it helps you understand why you do what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's dive in then. Let's talk about the steps because there are five steps that we see to the to the tool, the arousal template tool. And the first step is to list specific triggers and behaviors for me. So talk to us about this first step. What does it look like? Well, I'll use clients and I'll make it so it can be confidential and still preserved. First guy, his trigger for him was driving around a car alone. And what he do is he'd masturbate and expose himself in public. Next guy was... Uh, He'd feel powerless or worthless, and so he'd go and isolate and masturbate. Third guy, sitting in, standing in a hotel lobby, he'd be triggered and he'd go get a prostitute. That was his sexual So that the, the lobby became a sexualized space for him, mm-hmm. so he'd act out when he got triggered in that. So you have to identify what sounds, what smells, what situations are triggering for you, and then you'll start understanding when you understand the background. You know, what's interesting about this is that there's so much shame even in, even wrapped up in identifying those things. Mm-hmm. Like there are things that, um, man, just, I'm just thinking of experiences I've heard of or I've, I've experienced myself yeah. that there are certain situations like this shouldn't be triggering. This shouldn't, like this is a totally normal space. There's nothing sinful about this. There's, but it, but it, but it is. And so there's like this level of shame you have to deal with and then this courage you kind of have to build up in order to really write it down and say, no, this is actually something that triggers me and really moves me to an unhealthy behavior. Once you understand your arousal template, then you can deal with it in a non-judgmental attitude. It's very important you don't judge yourself. Mm-hmm. I'll lean over a client and I'll say time and again, you're not a pervert, you're wounded. There's a world of difference. Mm-hmm. And you start dealing with these issues in a non-judgmental way. Mm-hmm. I think women really deal with a lot of shame too because this is supposed to be a man's problem. And yet many women struggle with uh, some of these same issues. I remember one of my first groups when we went through the arousal template. And so I said, okay, who wants to share first? Everyone looked at the floor. Talk about shame. They weren't going to mm-hmm. share anything. So, so then I said, okay, um, why don't we go around and each of you share something you learned about this and processing it? And the first woman started sharing, and she shared everything. Hmm. And then the second woman shared, and she shared everything. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody said, "This you didn't want to do this, and here you are sharing all this. And they said, well, we felt really safe. Hmm. They've been meeting for five months, and these were women that they felt safe with. Yeah. And they realized they weren't going to be shamed, and that's part of moving, pressing through that shame. And many women struggle with some of the same things, uh, location, gyms, um, bars. I've had gals who, and it may not be even for drinking. They like going to the karaoke bars and stuff like that. Uh, smells, cologne, uh, and sounds, music. So the sensory. Uh, women are especially... Uh, can especially be drawn to alcohol and drugs so that they can uh, lower their inhibitions. And uh, sometimes 
just the physical, whether it's height, tall, dark, handsome, blonde, uh, the voice, uh, perceived personalities. Uh, some women want to be dominated because they never had that covering mm. or that sense of security. Others want to dominate. They've been so controlled and so abused. So they'll look for somebody that they can dominate. Um, and uh, one gal said, I always look for una unavailable men uh, who, in other words, they're married, so they wouldn't be available for a close relationship. I just want a sexual hit. Uh, feelings a lot feel lonely. Um, they become sensual because they want to attract. They feel less than. So if I can get a man, I'll, I'll feel really good about myself. And uh, uh, sometimes they'll go for older men or uh, men of a certain culture. I remember one that was one of the most interesting in one of our groups she was married. She was Caucasian. She was married to a Caucasian. Uh, and let me say, preface, there's nothing wrong with inter, uh, marriage, yeah, interracial marriage or, or dating, but she couldn't understand why here she was married and happily married, trying to process the pain of the past and where she wanted to keep going back to. And she says, Diane, during my dating years, I was always drawn to people who were not Caucasian. I was, uh, even now when I go out with my girlfriends and we go to karaoke bars, I'm drawn to non-Caucasians. And so as we began to look through her arousal template, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute, but um, she realized that you know, I took her back through her abuse. And when she was in four and five-year-old kindergarten, uh, the teacher, she was the only Caucasian. And the teachers had them, the kids doing sexual things. Wow. And so all of a sudden, when she put that together with her acting out, all of a sudden she realized, oh my gosh, this is, this is what's been happening. Classic example of brain lock and early trauma together. Yeah. Well, this is an area where when I'm leading group, I really encourage group members, as you're listing these triggers, don't hold back. Like you don't want a short list, the longer, no, the better. better. Yeah. So think through all the ways that you have acted out. Where were you? What was happening? What were you seeing? What were you looking at? And just the longer the list, you're going to start to see those connections. And so mm -hmm. if someone's encountering this arousal template for the first time, and like you were saying, Trevor, feels some shame over these things, um, you need that ability just to kind of free form right as much as you can and that doesn't mean you have to share all of this if you're not quite ready but you need to start processing and getting out what are all of like you were saying diane the environments the places the the smells the sights um, that created these patterns in my life because then that's going to help you start to make these connections um, with the next steps so step two is all about listing the early painful uh, either sexual or relational experiences so uh, talk us through what does that look like and then also how do these painful experiences so early in life relate to our current struggle or addiction yeah it's really important that um that you don't have your group start doing pillar five you have a lot of guys rotating through the group you've got to have a strong safe place for these guys to share this stuff well, let me take the three guys i use a guy who was a cruiser his sexual experience early in life was he had a single mom who was always involved with dating and he was never able to get his mom's attention. 
and he was invisible and powerless. His mom walked around nude a lot, had a lot of boyfriends over, so it really traumatized him. So when he acted out sexually later on, he was primarily expressing his rage against his mom. A lot of sexual addiction is eroticized rage, and that's why he would act out and embarrass the women and attack them, basically, is what he's doing. Guy who watched porn a lot, he never had a dad affirm him at all. Never had. His dad would sit there watching TV and he's trying to talk to him, totally ignore him. So he'd go in his room and isolate and eventually started masturbating. That set him up. The guy who picked up a prostitute, this is amazing. He was a love addict. And a love addict, when a guy's a love addict, he'll naturally move towards porn very strongly and sexual addiction. And his father was a military officer who never would affirm him, ever, ever, ever affirm him. He went away from boarding school and he came back home. Guess what his father gave him as a gift? A prostitute. His father mentored him very, very well, and that set him up to act out continually. For women, many times abuse either draws them to sex because they're trying to fulfill something that they were trained in, or it repels them from sex. But uh, with women I've worked with, especially one, uh, uh, violations often play into uh, their attraction and what they're acting out now. Uh, one gal was always spanked naked, so the pain would hit her more when she was little. Uh, lack of privacy can lead to this. Uh, parental exhibition, where parents are not modest, but they're exhibiting things that sh a child shouldn't see. And uh, premature images that women can see. Sometimes their boyfriends get them to watch these images. And uh, I remember one gal, uh, especially dealing with a lot of pain in her life. She was four years old when her parents divorced. Her mom was an alcoholic. Her mom had men in all the time, having one night stands. So that's giving her kind of a, a template, a picture that this might be okay. Um, her mom was not relational. The only way she could relate to her mom was if she went drinking with her at the age of 18. So she was always looking for that mom figure. And she was uh, started having oral sex at 15, 16. A boy from church raped her and bragged about it. So she didn't go back to church. Um, at 19, her dad came back into her life. And they went out drinking, and he molested her when they came back to her apartment. And at 24, she married the man she thought was the man of her dreams. And probably a couple months into their marriage, she says, I think I married the wrong woman. So men in her life were really scary. They weren't safe. So she'd go for one-night stands. She really wanted a relationship with women because her mom was not there for her. So she sexualized that relationship and now she's uh, meeting, hooking up with women. So her past abuse and wounds are really playing into what's happening right now. So you guys are telling a lot of examples of people who've pretty clearly made the connection between triggers and some of those early childhood experiences. Uh, but for many people listening, this might be a very new area. So is it okay for them to just go back and begin kind of listing out early painful experiences without any idea what the connection might be? Because I, I could imagine some people maybe being frustrated, like, well, I don't think I've got that clear connection. So is it okay to kind of take that approach? 
Well, it's, it's quite common for guys not to put the dots together because they never thought about what's going on inside them. They've just been living life as hard as they can and never stop and look at themselves. So it's quite common to go through this process and get, I don't get the connection. That's why it's really good to have a great leader or somebody you can refer to that's going through this and can help you catch the connections because it's not easy to get it really first time. But it's so powerful when you do. You know, because for me, I don't, looking back, I really don't have um, an overly sexualized, painful, mm-hmm, right. you know, traumas in my life. But I do have ones that are relational mm-hmm. that have taught me certain things or, right. or t- fed me lies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of them I've talked about on the podcast before is making this great play in a baseball game and mm-hmm. then parents calling me a ball hog. And I heard, hey, it doesn't matter how well you perform, you're never going to be good enough. Right. And so a trigger for me is any situation that I disappoint people if yeah. I don't meet expectations. And so it doesn't have to be just a sexual experience. It can no. be a relational one that sets you up too. All three of those guys I referred to, core beliefs were they were not good enough. At some point they felt worthless in their life. Hmm. That's a central thing. 80% of the guys I work with have a deep father wound. Mm-hmm. And this woman that I talked about felt like somehow she was responsible for the divorce and that her dad hated her since he didn't come back into a relationship till she was 19 Mm -hmm. and then there was abuse but uh, I agree with you Trevor many times these can be more subtle and that's why having a group that's helping you connect the dots Mm -hmm. you can begin to see things that you haven't seen before you know we see it in someone else's life a lot quicker than you see in yours (laughs) that (laughs) is the truth uh and I'm thankful that's why other people are around me so they can point it out so the, the third step then is listing the feelings that were attached to those experiences. So give us some examples. What does that look like? Well, like I said, all three of those guys had a deep sense of worthlessness. Mm-hmm. At some point, they felt they were not good, in their life, good enough in their life. That set them up to constantly be medicating their pain. Because every time you turn around, you're feeling the pain, you got to medicate it. And sex will give you a quick medication of the pain. It probably increases your shame. So the psycho goes crazy on you. I think I already mentioned some of these feelings. Uh, you know, dad hates me. Um, uh, it's my fault about the divorce. Uh, I wish I'd never been born. I must be ugly and fat that I can't have, I can't attract this kind of person, or I have to have a man in my life all the time in order mm-hmm. to be okay. My identity, yeah. Yes, I remember a teen group of young gals that I was leading, and one gal said, "I, if I'd get tired of one boyfriend, I'd still hold on to him until I got another one because I couldn't be alone. This was part of my identity. So these things start really early in our lives, the way we think, and much of this comes from our family of origin. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly, is that these early childhood feelings, because they were connected to some sort of sexual experience, whether good or bad, now later in life when we're feeling that same emotion, it's still connected to a sexual experience and then can be the trigger for wanting to act out sexually. Exactly. Especially when there's trauma, subtle trauma, a little T, sets you up to act out big time. And really, a lot of these childhood feelings um, and beliefs that are really lies stay with us all our life until we address them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll hear that from people regularly who say, you know, I I thought I was having a good week or a good day. I wasn't even feeling sexual. I wasn't even Mm -hmm. feeling tempted. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden I found myself masturbating and and you walk through their day and it's like, oh, you felt rejection at work or you felt worthlessness about a project you turned in or you thought... Um, you were being judged and, and all that connection we miss. And so when, when people start to connect 
some of these feelings to how that triggers sexual thought, it can really be, uh, to use our word earlier, a game changer. Yeah, big time game changer. Well, another thing too, what you guys are talking about is a little bit of a paradigm shift where if if you've experienced rape or a divorce or a death in the family, those are big traumas and it makes sense naturally to have someone help you process through that. But when I'm 13 years old and parents say I'm not good enough, that doesn't seem big enough to me at that age that I need someone to help me walk through that. So really what this is doing is helping you uh, really bring those things to the surface and finally start to work through those little things that maybe seemed insignificant years and years ago. They were insignificant when I was 13-year-old. Who wants to go back and do, go through junior high again? No one in the right Not I, to do sir. That. No. Uh, it's all trauma. It's all trauma. It's all things right. trauma. <laughs> so we've, we've walked through listing triggers, um, thinking through early childhood experiences and the feelings associated with them, and that leads into step four, which is to now kind of take a step back and write down your overall themes and core beliefs. So talk us through how about someone goes about identifying these. Well, as you look at the emotions you had early on and you're acting out, and when you have any questions, just ask your wife what your core beliefs are. She'll tell you what they are. She can see them loud and clear. All these guys, all of them had this basic feeling they were worthless. What if, what if a guy's not married? What if someone isn't married? Who else in their life could help them with that? Their good friends would really help them. Okay. And that's why the Pure Desire Group is absolutely foundational for you. Hmm. We won't clinically counsel anyone if they're not part of a Pure Desire Group. Because hmm. clinical counseling, apart from a relationship with other guys, they never get healed. Um, second thing, they all were terrified of intimacy. All these guys were. Intimacy is not being comfortable and close. It's being uncomfortably close. The guy was a cruiser. <clears throat> he, developed, or his, he developed exhibition of his arousal template because women were not to be trusted. That's the belief he, believed he had. And in anger towards him, resulted in acting on expressing ironic rage or, or anger. Exhibition would frighten him, and he'd get control over women by that. That's what was going on in his head. Now, he could never see it, but once you outline it for him, he go, oh, I see why I do that. He started changing. Guy was a porn addict. He didn't believe you can depend on anybody else. He had to, if you're going to do anything, you had to do it right yourself. And so that set up his workaholism and set up really shallow relationships. He didn't know how to really relate with his wife in depth. Um, there's an episode, an old HBO episode on Sex in the City. Miranda's having sex with this guy. She says, would you turn off the TV? He's got porn on. He says, I can't do that. He says, I just met you. I've been with these relationships, these women for years. Hmm. Shallow relationships. Straight men having sex with other men, and they can't figure out why. Frequently what happens is uh, I had one individual as pastor of a very large church. And he was having sex with guys who's married, have three kids, loved his wife deeply. But he was sexually abused when he's my child and my farmhand had set him up. Had another client... <clears throat> He was visiting prostitutes, and all of a sudden he went out with this prostitute. It was a female, but it was really a male dressed as a female. And for excitement, he engaged in it and started, started setting his brain up. Hmm. He started having sex with men. And he can't understand. When something doesn't make sense, it's always limbic. It's essentially what it is. And overall themes, some uh, would include, especially with this woman, I only feel safe if I'm in control. Hmm. So if, if Which I have, that's not just a female thing either, yeah. that no. can be anybody. Right. right. But especially women who have been abused mm. or, you know, if I entice and pursue and I can get this guy, my self-worth is, is I'm more valuable. I, this shows that I'm valued. And, uh, so those are, you know, some of the things that women struggle with, especially if they're struggling with body image, they're going to 
try to come against that by saying, okay, I have a man in my life, so now I'm okay. Another tip that I give to people in groups, you know, as they're walking through this, if they're really struggling to see connections, I just say, you know, work through these columns vertically up and down and just write everything you can think of because most of us are aware of overall themes, core beliefs that we struggle with. But we're going to start um, object and say, but that doesn't relate to my past. And Mm -hmm. so I say, just start writing it all down. And and when you're through steps one through four, then you can kind of look back and see some themes that that can really be eye opening. So um, that's another approach as you're looking at your overall themes and core beliefs is just write down the things you know you already struggle with Mm -hmm. and then see if it begins to make sense in light of the other columns. Well, what's really helpful is when the guy's forced to abstain from sexually acting out. All of a sudden, he can't medicate. He's not in his fog anymore. He'll start looking in and see the broken landscape within. Hmm. And that's really why we have Pillar 5 where it is, because he can't really come to these insights, so you stopped acting out. Your fog starts lifting off your brain. You look in and see the broken places. It's really important. So I think one of my favorite things about this tool is that it allows you to put everything really on one sheet of paper, mm-hmm. right? So it enables you to take everything and filter it into this grid. And, you know, the fifth step is listing the patterns, the triggers, and then the recovery strategies. So how does, how does this final step, what does this look like for someone going through that arousal template? Well, pillar five, lesson four is a critical piece. When you fill out that fifth column, what you need to do is pillar five, lesson four, that's the three circles. And it's really important you identify the inner circle, those places you don't want to go to, because once you go in there, you're dead. I had a client call me, and he was in a parking lot in a strip joint. He says, what should I do, Dr. Roberts? I said, run, Forrest, run. Because <laughs> if he stepped in there, he was dead. And he, yeah. I said, you got to get out of there now. Yeah. And the middle circle is those areas that you find yourself involved in and set you up to act out. It's really important you identify those things that lead towards it. Mm-hmm. But the one that's really mystifying for most guys is the outer circle sexual health, that's where you really want to get. And you see the growth pattern in a guy, he'll start off focusing on those things he doesn't want to do, and then all of a sudden you'll see the middle circle sets him up. Middle circle should become your inner circle when you get healthier. Mm-hmm. But real health comes when you focus outward. You start pursuing your wife, and you have a clear plan of what sexual health looks like. Then it starts really becoming powerful. That That's the practical application of taking off the old man, putting on the new. That's how I think of it, really, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're applying it biblically, right. is I'm replacing these old. It's not just taking out the new, the old and then just mm-hmm. trying right. to live life. It's replacing yeah. those things with healthy things. Yeah, exactly. And both women and men, as, as Ted mentioned, the men, but women have a hard time thinking of that outer circle, too. What are those healthy things like self-care rather than Mm. self-medicating, relationships rather than isolating. Most women who struggle with this have no close women relationships. They've so focused on men and attracting men or being with men that actually other women become the enemy because I'm competing with those other women. Mm -hmm. So once they recognize this, and that's why the groups are so good because the women relationships help heal a lot of what should have been happening in their relationship early on, where you have those close friends that are uh, same sex friends that can launch you into male relationships, but so many women uh, have never had that. What's really powerful is when you take this and you use it for the wife or the addict, Diana could take take you through that, take them through the three circles. Relapse for this woman becomes being a sheriff. In other words, 
You help her to get those three circles working yes. for her? Yes. In our women's material for being betrayed, uh, it's good to have the wives look at their own three mm-hmm. circles. And in fact, uh, you did such a good uh, job on... Um, Boundaries. Padre, uh, Pod- podcast 53. 53. We have both the husband and wife listen to that and pull out their circles and talk about mm-hmm. the differences and, you know... What does that outer circle look like? What can we do together to increase health in our relationship? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh, what's interesting is we will tell a guy, we want you to pursue your wife, your outer circle, and we're going to have you write out what she wants you to do, what's pursued for her. And we're talking to this one guy, and we said, where's your pursuit list? He goes, let's see her somewhere. Started looking through his papers on his desk. He just stuffed it back in there. You've got to eventually focus on the outer circle. That's where you're going to make it really well work for well for you. Going through all this stuff really works when you finally get to the outer circle. Start focusing on your wife. Well, the arousal template is something that people are often going to use as part of their group experience as going through the homework. They're going to be sharing it confidentially, and they may be wondering, um, what of this, if any, can I share with my spouse or should I share with my spouse? So let me ask that question to you guys. Is the arousal template something that should be shared with a spouse? Um, And if we are the spouse, how can our awareness of our our spouse's arousal template um, allow us to help them in the journey? We've... We've tried to caution, uh, especially our clients, that that might not be a good thing because to share, because uh, they've just the spouse has just learned how to share it without shame with their group. I don't think uh, it hurts for them to understand the belief system that's been driving their acting out, and I think. Uh, we recommend that instead of focusing on the arousal template, they focus on the three, three circles. circles. Because the three circles kind of lays it out. The wife already knows usually what those acting out places are that he never wants to go. And, and But I think her understanding his middle circle where these are the guardrails. These are, you know, when I start black and white thinking when I cuss, when I, whatever those things are that kind of are warning lights that, gee, I'm ready to relapse and go into that inner circle. Um, Those things are good to discuss with the spouse and vice versa. I think the husband needs to see that the wife uh, has her issues too. And she's focused on uh, creating boundaries within her life and working on self-care so that she doesn't become the sheriff, the nag, the controller, the black and white thinker, whatever those things are that drive him. So uh, we're trying to teach him a different dance. And sometimes I think if they can focus on the three circles, it's more helpful for them to say, oh, we're doing that dance. Yeah, it's really important that they, they have the betrayal and beyond. And the seven pillars are written so they have common language so they can share with each other. Like your arousal template is mostly built with fantasies. You don't want to share your wife. You don't want to share with your wife your fantasies. That's something you got to win on your own, because the woman has the upgraded male female brain. She didn't have the downgraded male brain. So focus on just acting out. And once she understands what his circles are, then they can really talk the same language. Now the guy needs to rewrite his three circles about every six months for the first two years of healing because he's going to be growing and developing. So eventually what will come, three circles, just be one circle, be the outer circle. His pursuit list for his wife is foundational for what he's going to. Hmm. It's really important. 
Uh, gosh, I just feel like I'm learning a ton, and this is this is awesome. We just appreciate you guys. Uh, we end every episode with really asking just for final encouragement. So in regards to the arousal template, what final encouragement would you give to anyone who's wanting to use this tool? It's absolutely foundational if you want to get healthy. Because what drove you for so years, so many years to do crazy stuff, once you find out why you're doing what you're doing, you realize you're not some pervert, you're just wounded, and there's a world of difference. I think uh, looking at the arousal template, if you'd look at it as kind of you're going to be a detective mm -hmm. and you're looking to figure and trying to figure out what does your subconscious brain know that your prefrontal cortex is not aware of. Yeah. And what we're trying to do is bring forth those things that automatically, I mean, you just automatically start doing and you're not even aware. Mm -hmm. So being present uh, is really what we're striving for. And by uh, uncovering this, all of a sudden, there's going to be a new awareness. And it's going to take the power out of being stuck. Because once you know and understand, then you can do something about it. Yeah, this is the most powerful tool we use, but it's challenging to use it correctly. Yeah, and I think that'd be my encouragement just to build on that is this can be intimidating. And so I'd encourage you just pray and really ask God to illuminate what needs yeah. to be illuminated. Yes. Because every single feeling and trigger, you're not going to be able to link it to something current. And right. it, it's a little more art than science, but that's mm -hmm. okay because you're not trying to figure out everything all at once, mm -hmm. but really to have a couple of major connections made that really become foundational for change. So trust that God's going to bring to light what needs to come to light. And for mm -hmm. the pieces you don't quite understand yet, just take a deep breath and trust, you know, those will have a role to play somewhere down the road. Yeah. yeah. Huge. So uh, this has been great. This has been such a fun time just talking about a really complicated tool. It can be very complicated. And I think that it's really important to understand that this is not going to be an easy exercise. Going through this tool is going to take a lot of awareness. It's going to take a lot of courage. It's got to take, man, you just, you have to be strong and power through it because if you want to be healthy, you got to do what it takes. And this is part of that. So right. uh, we would suggest anybody uh, who's struggling with anything should use, especially in the realm of sexual addiction, you should use this tool. Mm -hmm. uh, so we just appreciate you guys' insight and, and help today. So thanks so much for being with us. All right. Thanks. Love you, Trevor. I love you too. Thanks. Yeah. And thank you for listening to the Pure Desire Podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe. You can also rate and review our podcast and let us know how we're doing. For more information, check out our website, puredesire.org. And you can follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI. Once again, that's at Pure Desire PDMI. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pure Desire Podcast. For more information, check out our website, www.puredesire.org. Check in each week for new content on the podcast, and we pray that it will help you find hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire Podcast. Every woman that takes a breath. This is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. We, we are the last person. And sometimes we are taking care of everybody else. But we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources.